Hello, I'm Jocelyn Frank, and you're listening to a podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. For over half a century, gross domestic product, that's the value of goods and services produced in a country in a given period of time, that's been used as maybe the single most important measure of a country's progress. But according to Nobel Prize-winning economist Joseph Stiglitz, GDP fails to reflect a nation's overall well-being. These days, he's emphasizing the need for more inclusive growth. At a seminar during this year's International Monetary Fund World Bank meetings, he explained that while a country's GDP might be increasing, that doesn't necessarily mean that life is getting better for all its citizens. GDP is a measure of the level of economic activity, market activity in particular. The sum total of all the things that people buy and sell, including services, goods, it was a measure that was developed after the Great Depression when people wanted to get a thermometer of what was going on in the economy. Unfortunately, in the period since it was first developed 60, 70 years ago, it has come to be used as a measure of well-being. There are many dimensions to success, and GDP doesn't measure most of the relevant dimensions. It measures one dimension, but only one. So for instance, you want to know about sustainability. Can growth continue? Is a country selling its natural resources, stripping its trees, and not reinvesting? So you want a measure of sustainability. Uh, You want to know a measure of inequality. All the wealth, all the income of a country could go to a few. And that would mean a country could have a high GDP, high GDP growth, but most citizens would actually be getting worse off. So you want to know a measure of inequality. So why does inequality matter in an economic sense? Inequality in itself may give rise to instability. And the links between inequality are debated and and complex, but let me give you a couple examples what happened in the United States uh, before the crisis. The middle class was not doing very well uh, because they weren't doing very well. Consumption, demand for goods, was limited. The central bank worried that because of the limited consumption, the economy would be weak, lowered interest rates, and threw out regulations. The economy had a bubble. Housing prices soared. But as housing prices soared, the banks could lend them money to consume. So people were spending beyond their income. It was clearly not sustainable. And basic lesson of economics is that something that's not going to be sustainable is not going to be sustained. The bubble broke, and now we're dealing with the aftermath, and the whole world suffered. So that's a clear connection between inequality and uh, the current problems. Other example, of course, is In countries where they allow inequality to grow too much, they allow unemployment to grow too high, there is always the risk of political instability. What about low-income countries? What can they do to promote inclusive growth? One of the things is to make sure you have an inclusive financial system, a financial system that not only lends to big businesses but also to small and medium-sized enterprises, a microcredit system, an inclusive financial system. You also, obviously, if you're going to have a 
growth that is widely shared. You have to have an education system, educational system that is inclusive, which means uh, reaches both girls and boys, making sure that all the citizens, no matter what the income of the parents, are able to live up to their potential. What do you feel is the role these days of advanced economies and larger institutions in promoting inclusive growth? Well, there are at least three things they can do. The most obvious is to give assistance to help countries pursue growth policies. Many of the poor countries, low-income countries, don't have the resources. The second thing, they have to open up their markets. Not only will we say a hand out, but a hand up. And finally, many of the policy stances that were pushed by international organizations in the past we now realize we're counterproductive. Uh, Deregulation, liberalization, done in the wrong way, can lead to not only more instability, but also growth that is not pro-poor, less inclusive growth. So uh, those three things, I think, would make a very big difference. Do you feel that economic globalization then changed over the last 10 years? Globalization has changed, and our understanding of globalization has changed. I think the crisis of 2008 taught many people many lessons. For instance, the IMF recently has been talking much more about inequality. Uh, When I was at the World Bank uh, a decade ago, uh, you almost never heard any discussion, certainly from senior people, about inequality. Now I think it's being taken much more seriously. Emblematic was the movement from the G7, G8 to the G20, recognition that if we're going to solve global problems, we have to bring in emerging markets. But still, I worry that the concerns of the poorest countries in the world are given short shrift. The, the focus is battles among the developed countries, what Europe and the United States can do to prevent a crisis. They really turn inward. And in a sense, as a result of turning inward, they haven't given the focus that they should be giving to how we can make our global system work better because we live in a globalized world. And unless we work harder to make our whole global system better, it won't work. Joseph Stiglitz, the keynote speaker at this year's IMF World Bank annual meetings. You can hear more from participants from those meetings, including Paul Collier of Oxford University and Josette Sheeran of the UN's World Food Program. Just log on to www.imf.org slash podcasts.